Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Tommy Orange burst onto the national literary scene in 2018 with his stunning debut novel, There, There, a book that traced one urban Native American family's path around Oakland. The book signaled and catalyzed a sea change in how stories about Native people would be told. And his new follow-up, Wandering Stars, publishing today, is both a prequel and a sequel to that debut. It's dark, but not quite grim, and filled with brilliant people who disappoint and are disappointed in themselves and their country. Wandering Stars deepens and extends many of the themes of there, there. Family legacy, addiction, what we owe, what's owed to us. Tommy Orange coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This new book by Tommy Orange, Wandering Stars, is perfectly specific, centering on one native urban family in the Diamond in Oakland and their histories and failures and tiny moments of connection to each other and the bedrock of existence. And yet, in the library of history, when people look back on what it was to live in urban America in the early 21st century, a time of futurelessness, of history clawing us back one way and the other, a time of great awareness of how different racial and ethnic groups narrate the story of this country, of economic disparity, of addiction and despair interwoven with blooming community and endless information, this book, Wandering Stars, could be the perfect one volume on these times. It is and will be an essential book, just like Orange's debut novel, There, There. And I'm so, so delighted to welcome Tommy to Studio B. Thanks for joining us, and happy Pub Day also. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It, <laughs> Must feel uh, good. It's a long wait, and um, <laughs> there's, you know, there's a lot of doubt when you're writing, and at least then you have some sense of control because you're still doing it, but then you sort of have to let it go and then wait more and doubt more. And Yeah. yeah. You know, before we get to the meat of the book and its themes, I want to ask you about Grey Wolf books and the Tommy Orange who worked and read there. Tell me about Grey Wolf books in San Leandro. Yeah, so I just graduated from college with a degree in sound. It sounds like a, a phony degree. It's a... A BS in sound arts. <laughs> so somehow the science degree in the arts. Yeah. Um, and I needed a job. I didn't really, there was no clear path out of school to do what I wanted to do, which was to score films or work in sound design or something like that. And um, 
I got this job. I just started reading kind of more in a search for meaning, um, you know, like religious books, philosophy books, <laughs> psychology books. And I'm not quite sure why the woman, her name is Karen, <laughs> hired me at Grey Wolf. And I don't even remember how I saw. I was probably looking in a classified. Like, a cla- like in the back of like East Bay Express. I think so. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, 2005, yeah. maybe 2004. Um, and so I think she hired me because she wanted to consolidate two big warehouses into one. <laughs> um, this was like bookstores. That they Like they can't exist anymore. But right. they used to exist where you could not get that many customers and have a whole big dusty section that never gets seen and... So I got a job there, and and I I hadn't been a fiction reader. Um, like I said, I think she hired me because she thought I might yeah. be able to move books, and, and I did. I moved <laughs> She's a lot. Like, of, Strong back, Tommy. That's what I hired you for. We we moved you know two warehouses into one. I moved the entire fiction section from the back of the store to the front, and that's where I found fiction and wow. had a lot of time to read on the job. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> Um, they but, did close sadly in 2007. Uh, I read, but I did. It was fun to imagine the Tommy Orange of that time, who's kind of like wandering those shelves. I mean, did you ever like look at you know in between N and P and think like maybe I'll write something, maybe it'll go here? I don't think I was there at that time. I was, I was, I probably started writing after I left hmm. there. I was really just uh, becoming a voracious reader and figuring out what fiction I wanted to go after. Um, I started working at the Native American Health Center at the same time, pretty much. I was part-time at the bookstore and Mm part-time doing data entry at the Native American Health Center. Um, Another thing, you know, we have not traditionally offered land acknowledgments on the radio, though we obviously know a number of different Native peoples live within range of this, you know, tower on San Bruno Mountain. In this book, like a couple of characters have different and I would say even conflicting feelings about land acknowledgments and, and how they work. And as I read the book, I just wondered what the best way to acknowledge the people who were in relationship with this land would be. I mean, even if the story is actually about other Native people, um, like what do you think? You know, I think when they first came around, they felt really, um, really good to a lot of people because there was no acknowledgement of us in general. You know, in, in education, when you're in school, you hear about the pilgrims and the Indians mm-hmm. and then nothing. Um, like literally you don't check back in with us in any of the history, even though you're going through all these different eras. Um, and then I think after a while, it started to feel like empty. And it feels like we're in a state right now where we're reassessing uh, what it means. You know, in the book, In Wandering Stars, there's this part where he's talking to a guy, a Miwok guy from up in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Mm-hmm. And he's just talking about to, you know, you should know at least the name of the people. And and the character Orville kind of thinks about names. And uh, in that section I mentioned that 26 of the 50 states are native names. And that's, you know, this glaring thing that's right in front of us that we don't really know. So I think there's, you know, there's an... There's a way to know stuff that can be just kind of for show or, or sort of empty. But there's a way to know that that can inform you and, and mm. make you change the way you live. And even in small ways, acknowledgement goes a far a long way. And, and I don't know what the correct way to, to do things is. Certainly never having done land acknowledgements was not the way forward. <laughs> yeah. But there must be a next step. And I, I don't know what that is. 
How about your own relationship to this land? I mean, you know, plants and rocks and the actual experience of it, you know, the topography and the natural cycles. Like, do you think that that's part of that acknowledgement, like learning those things? I'm, you know, born and raised in Oakland and concrete and buildings. And <laughs> so, I, you know, I love running in the in the hills and on trails. And uh, I definitely experience the land that way. But I, I, um, my relationship to this whole area is, it's, you know, it's special because it's where my memories live, mm. you know, and I think that's true for everybody in their, their home space is important to them because it's where all their memories live and you drive through different areas or walk through different areas and your memories are right there and your feelings are right there about your memories. So mm. that's where you know, where I connect. Yeah. What's the relationship for people who obviously it's wandering stars coming out today. People haven't really read it. So what's the relationship of this book to there, there. So I think at first I was writing a pretty straightforward sequel. Mm -hmm. Like you could pick up the book immediately after they're there and you're like in the Coliseum. (laughs) (laughs) Like literally I I was writing about birds sort of in a quiet, like, in the aftermath of what happened, birds quietly pecking at food left in the bleacher area or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote a lot of the same characters into the sequel initially. Um, and my editor kept guiding me away from doing something that was too, that was leaning too much on there, there. And I eventually agreed. And I had been focusing on Orville and the Red Feather family. Um, and then this big historical piece kind of, um, found its way in. And so it, it became something that is definitively related to there, there. And, mm-hmm. and the second half of the book is literally the aftermath of the powwow, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not as much of a sequel. And then it has this prequel yeah. piece to it. So it's, it's definitely, if you read there, there, it's, it's you'll it'll you'll be it'll be an enriched reading experience, but it's also not necessary to have read. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because there there of course became kind of a defining book about you know quote unquote urban Indians, right? Like people people who had been completely, as you said, like left out of the story of you know native life in in this country, and part of that was almost not doing some of those other things, right? It almost felt like the the uh, wars of the 19th century on people, those were sort of, they were in the background of there, there, but they, and in the very beginning, but they weren't sort of laced throughout in the way that this book really does have sort of a massacre both at the beginning and at its heart, right? Yeah, and I think I was kind of anti-historical fiction not for other people and not as a concept, but I didn't want to write historical stuff because uh, so much that's been overdone in our depiction, you know, the, the cowboys and Indians or the pilgrims and Indians and just just generally we are, have been depicted in the past only. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I, and I tried to almost resist a lot of that historical narrative by, by writing very contemporary scenes and characters and including technology and all that. (laughs) Um, but I was in, um, I was in Sweden for the Swedish translation of there, there in in 2019 after I already started writing this straightforward sequel, Mm -hmm. which started in March of 2018. 
uh, before there there came out and i was at a museum um and i saw a newspaper clipping about um southern cheyennes in florida in 1875 and i fell down this rabbit hole um of information about why uh, why we were there so that's my tribe so i'm enrolled uh cheyenne and arapaho tribes of oklahoma but we're southern cheyennes it's two tribes that were sort of uh-huh. put into one as part of the, part of the federally federal recognized yeah. tribes um and found out this whole history um, that my tribe was related to was at the origin of the boarding schools. And um, I didn't know how that was going to relate to they're there or how it was would be included in a sequel, but I, I kept sort of looking into it. And um, I'd started writing a fictional version of a character named Star, not really knowing what that was going to do, but... Um, so we have a family story... Uh, from my dad, it's actually his naming story about a young man saving a baby at Sand Creek, and he he was told this story, and he told us this story growing up, um, you know, numerous times, because it was how he got his Cheyenne name. So I sort of wrote a fictional version. I was writing a fictional version of that with a character named Star, because I knew the the book was going to be called Wandering Stars, and I'm looking at this. Uh, I'm reading this book called War Dance at Fort Marion. And um, there's a list of prisoners, and I, I see one of the characters. The prisoners' was actual name was Star, huh. and another was Bear Shield, and that's a family name from there, there. Huh. And I realized then I was going to write a generational thing where the family line sort of ends up at the end of uh, huh. what happens at the end of there, there. Yeah. Wow. We're talking with Oakland novelist Tommy Orange about his new book, Wandering Stars, kind of as you've been hearing, kind of a sequel and prequel to his debut novel, There, There, which was nominated a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2019. You know, we'd love to hear from you. You can email forum at kqed.org. How has Tommy Orange's writing changed what you think about Oakland, Native Americans, addiction? I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more with Tommy Orange right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with novelist Tommy Orange about his new book, Wandering Stars. It comes out today. It's really, really good. It's a sequel and a prequel to his debut novel, There, There, uh, which was finals for the Pulitzer Prize in 2019. And we'd love to hear from you if you read There, There. 
forum at kqed.org. You know, how has Tommy Orange's writing changed what you think about Oakland or Native Americans or, or addiction? Um, in this book, Oakland kind of is its own character. I mean, there is literally a character in it called Oakland Lee. But it, at, a, at a deeper level, it's kind of like a dream of Oakland that's kind of coming through the book. Um, one of the characters, uh, Opal, notes, you know, Oakland is always trying to be better, even if it doesn't get there, and people are always meth- messing with it, but it never stops trying. And I think my question is, I mean, how different do you think the dream of Oakland is for the different kind of racial, ethnic, and class groups in the city? Like, is it the same dream, or is it different dreams? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, there's a big class divide. I think there's so much mixture um, when we're not talking about the class difference or like the hills versus the flatlands. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a, di- there's a bigger class divide than there's a racial divide, even though the hills are very white. And, <laughs> um, the, but the flatlands are just very mixed. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know necessarily what, what the dreams are now of people. I, I feel very confused about what people think of the future. And- <laughs> yeah. I mean, that actually comes across in this book, though. I think, like, people are kind of desperately, they know their past now in a way that feels different um, than even in there. there. There's a lot more people kind of who've come to understand something about where they come from. Then they get there. And then what, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, this younger generation, and I'm writing from a younger generation's perspective, uh, it's, it's we've kind of left them with a mess. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, I mean, even our age, our generation, we're, we're looking at a mess in the next 10, 20 years. So mm-hmm. it's harder to imagine, it's harder to dream when you don't see a future or the one you see is um, sort of hellscape. <laughs> right. But also some of it is... I think there was an idea that if we just knew these histories, that maybe that would do something. Like that in and of itself would be healing to know the history or that it would catalyze some future change, which then that would be healing. And I feel like, you know, we're four years on from 2020. We're, you know, six years on from your book coming out and a whole bunch of other Native stories have kind of bloomed around these things. Do you think that processing this these historical traumas like what's it done yeah i mean i think for me personally and for native people being able to tell our own stories and hear us tell our own stories to each other is powerful and being represented in the right way and hearing the, the the these histories that have not been talked about i think does its own healing work because at least we can all agree that we're seeing something, you know, historians all agree with the native perspective. It's, it's this other narrative, this sort of sanitizing American history to make better patriots, or I don't know, you know, I don't know what the, exactly the, they think the purpose is to, to continually just tell the pilgrim story and nothing else. Hmm. Uh, But that's ongoing. I mean, I think certain schools, better schools, private schools tend to try harder to tell better histories, but for the most part, you know, the, the general, American um, still has this old story. Mm. And, you know, I don't think it's good for the general American to think that way about history either. You know, I think digging back into history and trying to get a correct view of, of what this country means and what and at, at what expense it became a country is important to, to build a healthy national identity. Mm-hmm. And that guides the future in ways that um, you can't just blindly walk into 
you know, a climate change based forest fire. <laughs> um, if, if you're looking more correctly at the past. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, uh, essentially all of the native characters in this book end up thinking a lot about their ancestors and their history. What about the white people who are in the book? They, we don't see them thinking about their ancestry except in an ancestry.com like 23andMe kind of way. I mean, do you think that's actually part of the loss is that, you know, people don't actually have a respect for recognition of, you know, their Irish or German or French ancestors or something? Well, there was a concerted effort that you know, a lot of people know about to, to bring the, all these groups into what's called whiteness in order to create a hierarchy. And so that was at the expense of a lot of cultural richness. And it's not white people's fault who are living now, but to not look at that and not look at what privilege looks like now is, you know, it's not helping anybody. I think there's a, you know, I'm half white, so I think about these things from both sides. I, I, I'm, I don't try to condemn whiteness as if it, I don't also, you know, have certain privileges mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's kind of a spiritual crisis right now for white people and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, with, with the origin story that we still sort of tell, it's like we came here because of religious persecution, but it feels like we're in a moment um, where so, we don't have the same Christianity. We have like a, this crazy evangelical Christianity, but we don't have like a religious base or a spiritual base or a reason to look at the past in a clear-eyed way or mm-hmm. clear-headed way. And I think that comes with all kinds of problems. You just want to look away from it. Then it almost just feels clarifying and kind of new too to hear the word spiritual crisis in that context. You know, I'm not sure people could even form those words to <laughs> describe what it is that I think people uh, uh, have gone through in thinking about and reevaluating that history, particularly in places like Oakland, where people do know a lot of the history of these things. Yeah, and you know, I don't necessarily mean go find a religion but yeah. but but there's something in there's a moral failing when when you're thinking of politics only in this one mm-hmm. narrow way when when politics is is spiritual dimensions too and not just the ones where you try to win over the evangelical vote but like you know what we're experiencing reality has spiritual dimensions that we that we can acknowledge without having to go to the religious side of things where we fight um and so, but I think it's hard. It's hard because there's a lot of baggage and mm-hmm. and stuff that we don't want to look at. Well, it also seems like you know this shows up in characters and wandering stars, like um, a, a brilliantly drawn character named Mike, who uh, you know is a born and bred Oakland Hills character, as you put it. You know, only likes '90s and aught music, Souls of Mischief, and uh, hieroglyphics, but also listens to like Joe Rogan. And has, I think the character in the book calls him an alt-right psychopath, Um, even though he kind of has the, uh, really the largely black culture of Oakland is kind of his culture as he sees it. His politics then are alt-right Joe Rogan. Yeah, I I saw not the Joe Rogan part of this, but I saw this um, from Oakland Hills kids in high school, Um, just this this cultural adaptation of like what it means to be from Oakland, the town, like Mm -hmm. you're taking that side where it's convenient, but you know, you have these other ideas that are a little bit more Joe Rogan-y, even (laughs) though he wasn't around at the time. 
There's always been a Joe Rogan, though. I think you're right. Whether or not, uh, whether or not, yeah, it was. He actually had a show. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about in this book because it is a huge and also really just live theme, not just for individual families and, and people, but really for like the whole city right now, is this kind of struggle with opiates. Um, you know, we both born in 1982. We actually watched the beginning of this new version of the opiate crisis. I mean, I think about how suddenly I just saw OxyContin was kind of a thing that was just around me suddenly, which hadn't been before. Like when, when and how did you first encounter those that those new drugs and those new types of drugs? I, I think, you know, in thinking about Orville recovering after the powwow and the trauma of sort of getting shot, dancing, wearing full regalia, mm-hmm. and what that, all that, that might have, that, that might come with um, in his recovery time. Mm-hmm. It was more logically that's what he would have ended up addicted mm-hmm. to. Cause mm-hmm. that, because the book mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in its centuries span covers alcohol, laudanum, mm-hmm. opiates, mm-hmm. And, and other miscellaneous drugs. Yeah. And so it was more like that was fitting um, because of the timing, like of, you didn't set out to write like a book about the opioid crisis. I didn't, it was, and and it's really I'm not trying to focus on any of the substances. Uh, it's more about, um, you know, what are the reasons why people go to these substances, and looking at a lot of that um, rather than focusing on the, the the substances or the problems themselves. Hmm. Did you find it hard to sort of live? inside as a as you're writing these characters living inside kind of a, a drug seeking brain did you i mean i i found it a little bit difficult i mean a lot of the passages are actually quite beautiful but you're just sort of like stop no don't ah you did it again you know was it was that a difficult thing for you to kind of write through time and again it wasn't um i've sort of lived with addiction my whole life my family has struggled with it and i have too so it felt very natural, and and if anything, being able to write through that stuff is is a way to transform it or process it. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you do dedicate the book to anyone surviving or not surviving this thing uh, called and not called addiction. Um, what did you mean when you write, you know, not called addiction? I think there's a lot of things that we're addicted to that we don't call addictions, and the things that we want to point at and say that's a moral failing, this person's got a weakness for this thing, is the easy way out. Um, I think there's a lot of things we're addicted to that we would never admit we're addicted to. I mean, we, we talk about, well, those of us with kids talk about, like, screen time and <laughs> use the word addiction as it relates to watching something. You know, I think the average American still watches four hours uh, of t- television a day. And, what I mean, what is that? You're, you're just sort of staring at a screen... Uh, what news, sports, like whatever you're yeah. spending four hours of every day, you know, you're eight hours at work, let's say four hours staring at a screen, not thinking, letting the thing fill you and then you're sleeping. So like that's, you know, a lot of addictions take up about four hours of your day. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It's, um, I, I mean, one of the things that I really came away from, I mean, you, you do live with people who are addicted to drugs in a different way by reading this book. But I'm not sure I got to a place, and maybe that's just because there's no answer, of understanding how as a society or even just as like a city, 
like how are we supposed to make people's lives better who are going through this type of experience? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to think about solving. I mean, in one of the sections, they call addiction the soldier's disease. And there's it's post-Civil War. There's all these people that are on morphine and alcohol and the mixture, which is laudanum. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something that necessarily goes away or that there's a cure for it. But I do think compassion for, for people with addiction problems is closer to the way forward and the way toward a solution than just like criminalizing or judging, you know, because there's still a lot of st- stigma around it. Yeah. Let's bring in um, Erica in Los Gatos. Welcome, Erica. Hi, thanks for taking the call. Um, really loved your your book, There, There, and it was so new to read about um, urban life and Native people living in our urban parts of California, like Oakland, where I used to live. Um, and I was just curious, did you get a lot of um, responses from, like, Native people living in cities in California? Because I, if I remember correctly, I think that's, like, where most Native people live in California is in cities, not mm-hmm. out in faraway places. And I was just curious what the response was from yeah. from people like that. Thanks, Erica. Yeah, thank you. Um, I can't speak for other California natives. Um, I, you know, I've done some amount of travel, but definitely, I was already connected to the Oakland Native community. and, and Come on, people loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when I visited schools and stuff, uh, there, there are people, um, there are young people who really connect and, and feel seen. Um and, you know, it's actually nationwide that Native people, the majority of Native people live in cities. Um, so people in Native people from Oakland have given me a really great response. But like I said, I was already connected to them. Um, and um, it feels good to write about, you know, uh, this portion of people who have not been represented. For, for people to come up to me and, and say they feel seen, Um it, it feels really good to have gotten it right because, you know, it's a big risk too trying to represent this this experience. And, you know, if, if you don't get it right, um, that that can't feel good. Right. Absolutely. Um, another listener writes in to say, you know, as an African-American, I had to read there there three times because it was so rich. And I found so many similarities to my African-American culture in terms of the importance of intergenerational support and some of the trauma experienced by Native Americans. My mouth is still agape. It also gave me a view into places in Oakland where I've never been, but I'm pretty sure my 26-year-old son has been. I think it's time for me to read it again. Thank you, Tommy Orange. You know, characters in this book spend time, they, you know, they're Oakland people. They spend time both reflecting on themselves uh, as, as Natives as well as on Black people's experience and African Americans experience in in Oakland as well. How have you you know come to think about those two experiences and the way that they inform each other? Yeah, I think there's a lot more unity to be had. There's also a history of um, racism of native people to black people. Um, and I'm not sure what the cause of that is. Definitely in a place like Oklahoma, they they did a checkerboard thing. Pur- purposefully to split up 
Native people and black people and white people. Like they literally designed it so that there wouldn't be unity. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, experientially, um, Native people and black people have, have a lot in common. And and there would be a lot of power in, in unity. Um, the way that we're seen is, is sort of historical footnotes. Um, you know, black people have, have this slavery uh, thing, not to minimize it by saying slavery thing, but like in the, the white narrative about history, that sort of becomes the story about Abraham Lincoln being a hero and freeing black slaves. And Native people don't really have that version. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's that's something that it, is part of why the Native story has not been able to become like a adapted into American history and it's just mm -hmm. the pilgrim and Indian things just mm -hmm. the thing just stays as it is because there's no way to have a to make it look good or have a hero mm -hmm. that a, a sort of white savior figure <laughs> tied into it in. <laughs> it is interesting because you know the year 1924 is a big year and I realized that in my own version of American history I don't know that I had it pegged on the you know on the big calendar on the big timeline in quite that way right this is like when Native Americans become citizens of the United States in a in a, a, a morphal though incomplete the way still. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that either, and that was a research piece. And um, you know, I didn't I didn't know this whole prison castle boarding school history either. So there was a lot of oh. discovery for me um, in in doing research. And and you know, if I didn't go to Sweden for the translation of there there, I wouldn't maybe wouldn't have ever found out about this wow. thing. We're talking with Oakland novelist Tommy Orange about his new book, Wandering Stars. It publishes today. You can go buy it everywhere. Books are sold, I'm sure. It's both a sequel and a prequel to his debut novel, There, There, which was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2019. Really loving hearing your comments on how Tommy Orange's writing, you know, particularly There, There, changed what you think about Oakland. Um, and, you know, the Native American experience in this country. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can also give us a call, 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As you, what you're hearing through the show is a few songs that are featured in the book Wandering Stars by Tommy Orange, our guest this morning. That was Mitski, of course. You can also find his playlist on Spotify, isn't it? The music from the, the book? Somebody made a playlist of <laughs> music from the book. Um, we are going to get to some more of your comments and questions for Tommy Orange. Um, I don't. I want to bring in Lindsay in San Rafael. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi. Thank you. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, Tommy. I just wanted to thank you for your writing. I'm an educator, and there's a kind of constant conversation within education in the Bay Area, at least, about the literary curriculum being something the kids connect to or not. And your book stands out to me as something that every kid who reads it connects with and is able to access an experience that they otherwise wouldn't be able to really understand. Um, and I've taught it for years, and it's just so impactful. So thank you so much for bridging that divide. Most of the students in the Bay Area that I, that I work with are not Native American, and so your book does this magical thing. Thank yeah. you. Oh, hey, thanks so much for that, Lindsay. Uh, thank you, Lindsay. Uh, the book Connecting to High Schoolers specifically was, is something that was a complete surprise and uh, Bay Area schools, too. And um, I, I had this great experience um, of going to a school in Oakland, high school, and they did like a thing where the students interviewed me and um, it was on the local access TV. And I was going out to the car and I saw this group of kids and... You know, whenever I say teenagers, I'm like, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm, I'm automatically back uh, to being an anxious yeah. high schooler. So I saw this group of kids coming back from lunch or something. And one of them called out to, out to me right before I got to my car. And I was sort of like flinched almost, yeah. <laughs> turned around and he was like, hey, I f*** with your book. <laughs> uh, uh, which uh, is the greatest compliment of uh, an East Bay teenager, um, that's for sure. Um, I, uh, you know, there is a, a passage in the book that I want to talk a little bit about that's, it's kind of about trauma and it's kind of about trying to make more, uh, of trauma. At one point, one of the characters is talking about how they process generational trauma in this vocabulary. Um, and they say, no one will know if anyone is capable of making this place more than its accumulated pain. And I was thinking, like, when you think about that, is, is that, like, the task, essentially? Like, then, in a way, that is, like, kind of a task of the nation, almost, you know? It's almost an answer to what you said earlier about things being in, in a spiritual crisis moment. Well, I think, you know, I think also the book itself um, 
in in the writing of it i'm wanting it to be more than because uh, you know the response to there there was very much like this is so sad this is so heavy and and it certainly is and has those elements but um i think i think we're all wanting life to be more than sort of this thing we're anxious about and that we worry about and that um that makes us sad i think we're trying to make together we're trying to make this thing be more than than accumulated pain mm. well it's interesting because the characters who seem to feel that almost the most acutely are those who are addicted to drugs like they're trying so hard to find you know particularly orville um is just trying so hard to find this other kind of transcendence or this other sort of um kind of love for the world through music and through drugs and other things. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's part of trying to write in complexity to addiction and not have it just be this black and white, good or bad thing. And, you know, Orville at one point talks about how artists and musicians throughout time tend to do drugs. And what is the reason for that? It's not you know, it's not that the drugs are responsible for the music or the art. There's something there. And just trying to write in more complexity to what what can draw people to these things. Yeah. Um, Julie writes in to say, as a humanities teacher, I agree that we have to teach kids the truest version of America's history that's available. But after the kids have heard and understood the history, the next question they tend to ask me is, what do I do with this information now? I feel like, quote, be an ally is hollow. I feel like we struggle to escape the status quo and we all operate from the position of fear that there won't be enough of whatever resource we're arguing about for everyone. What does Tommy believe our action should be after we know and understand our country's history? You know, I don't, I don't know. I get this question um, sometimes when, when I've been traveling mm -hmm. as far as, like, actions that we can take um, and... I, f I sometimes feel like completely inept in, in that category because uh, I, I, I write fiction and um, I think there are ways you can look into local native groups um, and donate to them. There's a, there's a pretty easy way to do that by Googling like whatever your local native organizations are. Um, but I don't have like steps of action. I'm, I'm not an activist. And I, I can't yeah. claim to be one. I mean, is it hard to be asked to be a, a teacher in that kind of way? Or a, I'm not even sure what it exactly it is an activist in that kind of way. It just feels like I, there are people that are doing that work and mm -hmm. they, they deserve to be asked those questions and they have good answers and I, yeah. I don't necessarily. I mean, it's interesting to think about just within the fictional world of this book, like the the white characters around the native characters in this book, like what, what could they do that would be healing? Uh, tends to be kind of the opposite of what they do, I think in this book. But like, what do you, did you have a sense of that or in your own life people? Well, I think, um, Sean, uh, in his later parts of the book and, and Orville for sure, uh, go, f go through this recovery period mm -hmm. and are moving toward healing more so Orville than Sean. Um, but Sean has kind of, kind of some advice for people, like how to how to reduce um, harm. Mm -hmm. And Orville has these active things, like running, that he mm -hmm. does to to try to figure out what healing might look like for him. Yeah, I was as I was reading the book. I was like, Tommy Orange is definitely a distance runner. <laughs> like you're definitely an endurance runner. Do you think that's because you like being out in the trails, or do you think it's like something? 
biochemical. I kind of think it's that way for myself, but I, I don't know. What's, what is it for you, you think? It serves a lot of purposes for me. Um, there's a mental health piece. There's a endorphins piece. You know, like I, <laughs> I was an athlete my whole life. I played roller hockey pretty seriously for many years. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people don't realize, especially if you, you know, for, as kids you run around a lot and you get sort of used to that endorphin rush and then all of a sudden you're sitting for eight hours in an office and you wonder why you don't feel and good. And watching TV for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder why you don't feel good. Um, and so I think um, there's that piece. There, it's also part of my writing process. So I think... I th- I come up with things while I'm running, um, so that it fulfills so many different things. It's like I just hope I you know knock on wood. I hope I don't get injured and, and, and <laughs> yeah. I'm not able. You to. You can always be a swimmer then. It's fine. Um, yeah, I feel like time slows down, which really helps with any kind of creative work. Yeah, and there, and there's a piece of um, structural thinking when I'm work, working on a novel where where after a certain amount of time, like the the post hour running period. Uh, something gets more clear to me when thinking of like big structural changes and how to think of things as these big blocks that I can kind of move around that I can't access when I'm just sort of sitting at the page or when mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about it. It's really when I'm like most not thinking that some of that thinking can happen. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in uh, Dorian in Portola Valley. Welcome, Dorian. Hi, thank you so much. I just want to say that I had a rare experience when I read your book, There, There, in that I remember exactly where I was when I came to the end of your book. And I can just bring myself back there at this very moment. And my heart, you just reach into the heart with your writing and with your words. And I wanted to even carefully chose these words to say to you, because you do such a beautiful job. And reading your book is more like an experience, and I can't even define it. And uh, I, can't wait for your, I can't wait for your book. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Dorian. I mean, that is one of the most beautiful things about being a novelist, right? You get to put, you get to inscribe your memories and your work like on somebody else's world. You know, when they move through their city, they see themselves reading there, there, <laughs> right there in the city, you know? Yeah, it's been, it's been really great to get that kind of response. And, 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 you know, you don't think when you're writing that, that I'm trying to do this emotional thing, like, it's there's sort of a it, there's a mystery to the process and and even in revision when you're trying to make a sentence do more work you're not necessarily thinking i'm doing emotional work to reach the reader emotionally um you just have to sort of see what comes out in the writing process and try to you know i, I read out loud a lot and, mm. and I, I try to make sure the sentences sound good like actually sonically sound good um so it's it's good always good to hear the emotional piece because it's hard to know that sometimes when you're in the writing process. Well, and sometimes it is kind of inexplicable. You read a series of 30 sentences that might not explicitly be... I mean, if a character dies, you kind of know, like the kind of structural emotion. But that other kind of emotion that's built into the way the sentences work seems much more difficult to... I mean, that that feels more like incantation or something, right, than it does something you could truly aim in that way it's it's like uh, humor too you know if, if you're like sitting down to try to write something funny <laughs> you might not be yeah. <laughs> might not make it um one other, one other thought about memory which is in the two of the characters in the book the two two grandmas um jackie and opal have a really different approach to the way that they use their phones for memory right like Jackie's always taking pictures, but she's never looking at them. It's just like kind of almost like the process, whereas like Opal will kind of like live into those past moments. 
um, are you first? Are you a Jackie or an Opal? Uh, and what do you think it does to people to both like to do the capturing and and do the the reliving? Uh, yeah, I don't really look back at, at pictures and. I'm actually not necessarily good at taking them either, <laughs> so I'm sort of. <laughs> You're neither. <laughs> Tom, all right, Tommy. Um. But I, but I appreciate what you know, what all of what that is, and how it relates to memory. And Jackie sort of has this guilt for all that she's blacked out in her years of substance abuse. So she feels devoted to the idea that she can capture and and at least keep these things if she ever wants to look back. Yeah, and whereas you think Opal, I mean, she kind of feeds on that, right? I mean, she's created this incredible record of a of a life under remarkably you know raising three grandsons yeah and i think there's a sense of control um and that that she has in place to to make sure nothing goes off the rails and and to be able to look back and there's a sense of control too looking at pictures that are captured and even there's even a comment that from jackie about the word captured Mm -hmm. um but there's this idea that you captured something and it can it can hold it in place and it's not going to fall apart because mm-hmm. Opal is sort of driven by this fear that things can go wrong. Yeah, I mean, somewhat uh, reasonable fear in <laughs> in this world. Um, let's bring in Rosemary in Livermore. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Okay, um, Mr. Orange, I'd really like to thank you, and that's all. I'm gonna keep it really brief. I have a, um, um, a native son who is, I mean, born out of wedlock, and it was many, many years ago. And so, yes, I know that I had an Indian indigenous child. Do I talk about him now? Yes, I do. Did I, after he was born, did I as he was growing up? There was no place in my vocabulary to speak about him, and you just gave me a voice, and I thank you so much for that. Hey, thanks, Rosemary. This is it really, I mean, it's really complicated because there are characters in this book who have a different, they, they have a, there's adoptive parents, there's sort of adoptive, like, cross-family situations. And Rosemary's situation where she essentially has a, a child who's native but doesn't end up talking to him about that native ancestry, it must I mean, I'm just imagining it must feel dif- difficult to start to move into that space. And you see that with the characters in the book. When they try to get a hold of their native ancestry, it becomes really hard for them to know what it is they're actually looking for. Yeah, and I was trying to write in this space that I knew existed where, you know, it, is being native about a knowledge base? Is it about a language base? Is it about being near your tribe? Sure, it's those things, but it's also these other things. And and there's been all these disruptions in lives and these systemic plans to disrupt. So there has to be space for people who have been disrupted. Um, And I think there's a lot of infighting in the Native world around who's who's real and who isn't. And and I think there there are pretendians out there who are bringing us harm and taking up space. But I think the path should be toward inclusion. Um, I think it's fairly obvious when the pretendians are there. <laughs> um, and what about for people, you know, like Rosemary, who's, you know, going to be, you know, moving into this new space of talking about, you know, her son's ancestry or opening up that space to have that conversation? Maybe, who knows, maybe he's thought a lot about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, 
I have a white mother, and um, I think um, it can be really tricky territory. Yeah. And it, I think you have to be sensitive around not trying to claim too much because you are adjacent or because you have mm. this like intimate relationship to it. I think that it's still tricky territory. Yeah. I mean, did you, how was your, your own ancestry presented to you as by your parents? Like, were you like, well, you're Southern Cheyenne, boom, like that? Or was it like you have a, comp, like, what did they say? No, it was straightforward. I mean, my dad, uh, his first language is Cheyenne and he, we grew up him speaking that in the house. Um, she didn't speak it, so there was no conversation, which is part of why it didn't get passed on to us. He would just speak it to us, and we would just be expected to know certain phrases and words. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we'd go back to Oklahoma and, and see family, and so it was, it was always very clear, like, you're Cheyenne. Um, it was later that the Southern Cheyenne piece became made clear because there's Northern Cheyennes in Montana and the Southern Cheyennes are in Oklahoma. But it wasn't... It wasn't something that was unclear to me. The exploration of identity in There, There, and in Wandering Stars has more to do with imagining these different types of Native people all around cities and what that could be like. Yeah. Do you think your... How has your mom dealt with the fact that you are incredibly prominent you know, Native American writer now? I don't know. I, I haven't asked her how, how that feels. <laughs> I mean, she's you know she's proud and and yeah. she's uh, she she reads my work and and loves it and um, so yeah yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to well, I actually we're gonna run out of time. G- give us one other thing. One other uh, Native American writer who you uh, have been following and, and really love that if you know people want to read Wandering Stars and and get deeper into Native literature. I have to choose one. I mean, okay, you know, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll choose one. Um, I, I want to say before our time's up, I am so sorry for saying the F word. <laughs> they caught it. They caught it, I think. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so I think Oscar Hokea, he's an, an Oklahoma writer. Uh, his book is called Calling for a Blanket Dance. It was really important to me while I wrote Wandering Stars. He does this generational thing, this mm. generational building. Mm. Um, and it convinced me to, to do that form when I, w- I had a lot of other versions in place before and, and really clarified something for me. And his book is great. And it came out, I believe, last year. Um, it was one of my favorite books last year. That's awesome. We've been talking with Tommy Orange, Oakland novelist, author of There, There, and Now Wandering Stars. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. Look right through me. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!